0: This is Farmland. Coming up, John Brooks, the Sheep Chair of the Irish Cattle and Sheep Farmers Association, will outline his concerns on the introduction of new measures for sheep electronic identification tagging. Mike Pearson, the Principal of Girteen College, will be in studio to tell us about the opening of a new 30 unit milking parlour on campus. But first, I caught up with EU Commissioner for Agriculture and Rural Development, Phil Hogan at the ICSA anniversary to discuss EU-wide father concerns, the Commission's proposal for tackling unfair trading practices and the latest on the reform of the Common Agricultural Policy post-2020. We're joined by EU Commissioner for Agriculture and Rural Development, Phil Hogan. Thank you very much for joining us, Commissioner. Um, Commissioner, over the past few months, Ireland and Northern Europe has been severely hit by drought conditions. Um, I know the EU, the Commission, did introduce a number of measures to help, help countries cope with the situation. Um, do you think this is a once-off? Is that a once-off answer to a once-off problem? Or is this uh, an issue that you're going to have to have long-term measures for?
1: Well I suppose there's two aspects to it, we've signed up for international agreements on climate change with, in the Paris Agreement 2015, where every sector has to play its part and we see over the last year, couple of years with flooding in some regions and you know, drought in other regions that you know it's very unpredictable the weather patterns uh, and to be able to have the necessary risk management tools to be able to cope with these particular unfamiliar events to us is something that the policy now uh, in the agricultural policy the European Union has to look at. Uh, but what Minister Creed and I have tried to do over the last couple of weeks is to ensure that, the, that we can, as far as possible, have enough fodder for farmers next February and March uh, at the end of the winter season. So we relaxed a lot of the environment rules in order to allow more product to be able to be grazed as well as produced for fodder. Uh, and we brought forward the advance payments uh, to 70% rather than 50% uh, in October of this year. So hopefully, the measures between what the minister has announced and what I, as European Commissioner, has announced, will be able to mean that farmers' cash flow will improve and that we'll have, uh, you know, more product to cut for to alleviate a potential animal welfare problem uh, next February and March. Farmers are worried, but I hope that these measures will help to, you know, you know uh, to help to show them uh, that we're making every effort. In order to ensure that their animals will be have the uh, amount of feed and, and uh, the amount of fodder that they need next spring.
0: And just looking at this long term, we are dealing with changing climate patterns, uh, different weather scenarios. It is becoming a more frequent frequent mm-hmm. situation. Is what are you proposing long term? That will deal with this scenario on, you know, a couple of times a year. It could be that we're dealing with, yeah. um, as, as this year, with a father crisis.
1: Well, I suppose the first thing that farmers want to know is if they're able to be uh, avail of uh, financial resources or some assistance, like we are, in relaxing the environmental rules when times are difficult, and that there is a, a buffer there and risk management tools available in the Common Agricultural Policy to help them at times of risks, whether that's a natural disaster. Or whether it is flooding or whether it is drought so we are looking at our in the post 2020 policy to make sure uh, that we have sufficient risk management tools and crisis reserve measures to be able to uh, help farmers in those situations
0: and moving on to the common agricultural policy reform and um, at the moment commissioner are you seeing member states that willing to contribute more what what number are we on at the moment in terms of member states wanting to contribute more to the budget to help maintain The cap budget. Well,
1: we've got positive soundings out of 22 member states from a total of 27 member states, so this is very encouraging. Of course, though, it has to be by a unanimous agreement to get agreement in the budget, so we're not taking anything for granted, and we have to work closely with the other five member states that have a difficulty about giving more money to the European budget. So over the next couple of months, the Prime Ministers of each member state and the European Parliament will be discussing this intensively. And hopefully, we'll be able to get agreement, uh, you know, by the end of uh, the springtime.
0: And Commissioner, on the capping of payments, there are some concerns. Uh, Minister for Agriculture, Food and the Marine, Michael Creed, has raised concerns about um, the the possibility of income tests and uh, labour cost assessments being brought in um, in order to um, in order to bring in the new capping to the direct payment. What's your response to those concerns?
1: Well, there's only a small amount of farmers that are going to be affected uh, in respect of my proposal to cap payments between €60,000 a year and €100,000 a year. What we're anxious to do is to redistribute payments in order to give a a bit more money to the small and medium-sized farmer in order to keep them in business, keep rural areas viable, and. Our larger producers are able to get access to financial instruments and be able to deal with financial institutions better than their small and medium-sized farmers in order to get working capital and loans over a longer period of time. So the whole f- purpose of, of my proposal, and it's only a proposal, I'm willing to listen to member states like Minister Creed to see as there are alternatives that we can actually achieve the same outcome uh, by devolving responsibility to the Minister to pick the capping level and, whoever is the Minister, to pick the capping level. But what I am really anxious to see is that we protect the incomes as far as possible as small and medium-sized farmers and the family farmer in Ireland is about 56 hectares.
0: Under the Common common Agricultural Policy Reform as well uh, on the active farmer definition, member states will now have the ability to define an active Mm. farmer themselves. There are a lot of concerns also on that. Um, What would you consider A good definition for an active farmer?
1: Well because the European Parliament and the European Council of Ministers in 2013 were unable to find a definition themselves of what constitutes an active farmer or a genuine farmer, we have decided to give each of the Member States the opportunity to be able to define that that particular type of farmer themselves. Greek government and the Irish government have a different view about what a farmer is and you have to take account of part-time farmers, you have to take account of uh, people that are, you know, have to supplement their income uh, from other sources in addition to their farming. But what we are anxious to do is to ensure that whoever is in charge of the land that it is farmed, rather than just for investors from outside agriculture. And uh, I hope that each member state will be able to get a, a definition that's suitable to their local conditions in that respect.
0: Commissioner, on Brexit, um, we're not a whole lot further on than we were this time last year and the deadline for the withdrawal agreement is looming. What's your view on how negotiations have progressed to this date?
1: Well I thought that there was uh, a lot of interesting proposals made by Prime Minister May in our Chequers white paper, especially in relation to agriculture and the uh, trading of goods, uh, including agriculture. Uh, And if we can build on those proposals it means that we will have the type of frictionless trade agreement and agriculture that we're all looking for north and, from Northern Ireland to Southern Ireland and vice versa or from the island of Ireland to the United Kingdom and Europe. So the first part of it is going to be decided at the end of October early November where we'll have to see what the final outcome will be in relation to customs, uh, in relation to checks of goods and where they're going to be checked so that we can have this soft Brexit and frictionless trading arrangement and then the second part of it of course will be the free trade agreement, which will take a couple of years uh, between the UK and the European Union. And if we get a duty-free, tariff-free agreement for example, well, well then we, we have resolved an awful lot of problems in relation to the trading of goods, uh, like agricultural goods, between the UK and Ireland. So the first part, hopefully we can get agreement, it'll be unthinkable if we can't get agree- an agreement because it's not in anybody's interest, including the United Kingdom. And then after that, we have a transitional period in order to work out the future relationship and the free trade agreement.
0: Do you anticipate that there will be any extension to the agreement, to the de- deadline to finalise?
1: Well, let's not get ahead of ourselves now. Let's see how we fare in relation to a final outcome between the UK and the EU by the end of October and early November. Uh, this is the first step. Uh, it's only if there's no deal or no agreement that uh, you know some future government in the UK might decide to look for an extension of time or an extension of the 29th of March deadline. but We will have to get agreement from all 27 member states. We're not contemplating that at the moment because I think everybody is doing everything possible to make sure that we have a deal rather than a no deal scenario.
0: Commissioner, a couple of weeks ago, Kieran Fitzgerald, the former chairman of Meat Industry Ireland and the leading mm. food economist, was on farmland and he was critical of uh, the EU and how it has responded to particularly to the beef sector on brexit and he suggested that there should be an increase in direct payments under cap reform to specifically to beef farmers because they are so severely impacted and w- or will be so severely impacted um, by brexit do you think there's room there for more practical solutions he mentioned a, um, a slaughter an early slaughter premium and, and an increase in direct payments is that is that a practical
1: well, I, I agree with Kieran Fitzgerald that we need to look at sectors that are going to be under pressure in any, for any particular reason. And I'm giving that flexibility in the CAP strategic plan to every Member State Minister for Agriculture to be able to do that in the future post-2020. Also, there are support possibilities with operational programs at the moment in fruit and vegetables and wine. It's exclusively for them at the moment under the Common Market Organization measures. That We are proposing now that that particular model of helping a sector like fruit and vegetables is going to be extended to all sectors, so that in their planning for the future post 2020 any member state now will be able to have a specific sectoral approach to help the sector that's under pressure at any particular time. So we're given all the flexibilities along the lines that Cairn Fitzgerald has advocated.
0: And another uh, help to the situation maybe the uh, new proposed legislation that you've brought forward on the unfair trading practices. What stage are you at on that at the moment and uh, can you give us any update on what's happening?
1: We're making substantial progress on this issue at the moment and uh, we will expect to have a conclusion of the legislation uh, between the parliament and the council uh, by the end of January 2019 and to come into effect on the 1st of January 2021. It's a directive, so it's up to every Member State if they wish to implement it or not. So, but it is, this is banning unfair trading practices. I presume that every Member State will wish to agree with us that that's necessary to do. And already we have an agreement on the general approach from the Council of Ministers. And uh, the European Parliament are quite enthusiastic about making quick progress uh, on this matter with a view to finalising, as I said, early in 2019.
0: Which will also help alleviate the, the outcomes of, of Brexit is that well, is that the central you? Well, we to want to give
1: more a, a more share of of mm-hmm. the transactions in the food chain. We want to give a better opportunity to the farmers to be able to get a better return from those transactions, rather than processors and retailers gobbling up uh, all of the particular margin of profitability. So there's a lot of unfair trading practices that go on, and marketing, and and uh, you know food waste not being paid for by by retail chains. Uh, we have nine specific areas identified but of course we can build on this in the discussions that are happening at the moment between now and the end of January to try and a- make this proposal better but this is the first time the European Commission and I'm very proud of this achievement that as Commissioner for Agriculture that I'm able to put forward a proposal in legislation to help to improve the position of the farmer in the food chain.
0: We'll leave it there Commissioner thank you very much you for very much. joining us. Welcome. Now, as debate over EID tagging in the sheep sector continues, our reporter Sylvester Phelan spoke to one sheep farmer in County Westmeath to get his views.
2: Sean McNamara is a farmer from Liss McCaffrey County Westmeath who keeps 900 ewes. We asked him what his views are on mandatory EID tagging.
3: I don't believe in mandatory EID tagging because there's no benefit to the farmer. Um, when we, in the early 80s, I sold lambs at 50 kilos with no EID, no tagging was earthly, at 100 pounds. That same lamb now is worth 100 euros, which is equivalent to 79 pounds. So we're not getting any further. We we're told when the other tags come in that uh, we would get better markets and we get better prices for a lamb. Instead of that, lamb is falling every year further and further and we're getting less money and it's costing more to produce a lamb. So there's no benefit in ead EID, EID tag. There's no need for, for a simple reason is, we go to the factory, I'm a haulier, I go to the factory, one hour I'm in the factory, the lambs are killed within the next hour. The EAD tag is cut out in they've bin and that's the last EID tag. So there's not much sense putting putting in a tag to last an hour or two. Plus the cost of an EID tag is 120. At the moment we can buy the tip tag at 16 cents. So it's an extra cost of a euro per lamb, which isn't in farming.
2: We asked Sean how the new measure would affect him directly. It's going to cost me a lot
3: more money. We say, for example, if I have a thousand lambs, it's 160 euros to buy the tip tag. To buy the EID tag it's going to cost me 1200 euros. So it's, it's cut me profit out by a by thousand or thousand and forty.
2: Sean was asked if he sees any benefits to mandatory tagging, such as new markets or better prices. I don't think there's any new markets, like
3: they're all the time telling us about these new markets and things, but we're not seeing it, it's not coming any further further down the road to us, we're getting more for our lambs, in fact we're getting less, Um, we're getting hard at the moment to get 100 euros for our lambs, which is the bottom you could expect a farmer to take, and you want a very good lamb to get, I don't think, it's no benefit to us, it may be a benefit to the factory, they might not have to pay an extra man to eat lambs, but it's definitely no benefit to the farmer.
2: Sean also gave his view on the proposed once-off payment of 100 euros.
3: I think it's an insult to farmers. Um, Once-off payment, 100 euros, 100 tags. That's it.
0: Sean is reacting there to an announcement earlier this summer from Minister for Agriculture, Food and the Marine, Michael Creed, who announced the mandatory extension of EID tagging to all sheep from October 1st. However, after a substantial backlash from farm organizations and from further engagement with stakeholders. A number of revisions were announced to the implementation of the system and it was pushed back to, to June next year. Here to discuss the issue with us is John Brooks, uh, John Chairman of the ICSA Sheep Committee. John why do you think the department is so keen to push through EID tagging on sheep?
4: Clear it's very difficult to say you know but we must we assume that there must be pressure from the meat industry because if you look at this uh, new proposals the only ones who benefit from this is the meat plants there's no benefit in it from farmers it's a, it's a cost for farmers uh, icsa has done the maths on it and uh, if you go back over the last number of years the average uh, margin on a lowland lamb using chagas figures is 14 euro so, as Sean outlined there, if we have to spend an extra euro per lamb on a tag that's going to the meat plant, it's the equivalent of taking 7 euro of my income and Sean's income and all sheep farmers' income. There's absolutely no need for this. Um, as late as last week, ICSA met with the Commission, uh, the area of the Commission responsible for this sheep tagging and, she, and identification, and they outlined to us that as late as 2015, when this topic was discussed, that they were fully behind, 100% behind, the current derogation that's there. So there's absolutely no pressure from the EU to make any changes to our system. As far as they're concerned, the system we have is uh, miles better, or there's no, there's no other system anywhere else in the world that comes near it. So, I mean, farmers are very, very angry, Claire. You can imagine the 7% of anyone's income being taken and it caused a lot of hassle, a lot of bother. Uh, and we're a, a very low income sector, It's a sector that, you know, maybe only works on certain types of land. Um, The figures we've done is on lowland sheep. Uh, If it was applied to highland sheep, the margin be much greater of a loss.
0: And is the department listening to farmers? Are they hearing these concerns? Well,
4: I'm sure they are hearing them. You know, I mean, they did make an announcement, as you outlined there. They did make some minor changes and we welcome the change by not implementing it this October. It would have been absolutely crazy to introduce it on the 1st of October of this year in the middle of a fattening system. But at least they've listened to that and, and now we're going to outline it next, or implement it coming the 1st of June next year. But the substantive issue is still there and Sean outlined it in in, in, in his uh, part there that about um, the 100 euro and the cost of this going forward. I mean, the 100 euro, farmers have said it to me up and down the country, this has been an insult. It's like getting 100 pieces of silver to buy your soul. Um, it's, it's, it's of no benefit to anybody, the 100 euro. Farmers are very angry about and we would hope the department will still listen and listen to the Commission. There's no need for this. Our system is very robust. It's the most robust system in the world.
0: And at the same time, John, Minister Creed is saying that by implementing this system it will help secure other markets to diversify the markets. And that's also something that meat industry Ireland are pushing as well. What is your response to that assertion? Look
4: at, I don't. That, or neither does any of the thirty-three or thirty-four thousand sheep farmers in Ireland buy into that assertion. Um, our lamb, as the Commission outlined, is that has the best traceability system in the world, and all of these markers has been talked about. They're all pie in the sky. They're thousands and thousands of miles away. These markers are already buying lamb uh, from countries or regions of the world where there is no traceability, uh, no quality assurance, no origin green, no nothing. So, I mean, it doesn't make sense, it's unbelievable for that suggestion to come out that all of a sudden, because the ZID is a lamb before he's slaughtered, that it's going to open up markets everywhere else for us. I don't believe it, and neither does the 34,000 Sheep Farmers of Ireland. Believe it.
0: Do you see any benefits to it at all in terms of practicality, uh, enhancing flock management? Um, do you see any potential advantages of it?
4: Well, there are advantages to it, you know. But I mean, it's the cost of it is the big problem. You know, the margins just aren't there in sheep farming to absorb this cost. We already have all sorts of levies when we go to the meat plant and sell our lamb. At the bottom of, of the levies taken off for BORBIA, uh, EIF, uh, Sheep iron levies, uh, veterinary levies, it's all sort of levies. And we just see this is another levy. And we're saying, stop, enough is enough. You cannot take any more out of our pockets. What's happening at the moment, Claire, is when I sell my lamb, when my lamb leaves my farm or Sean's farm or the 34,000 sheep farmers that's out there, everybody else uh, right down the line is... Is is, is protected, there's minimum wages, they're going to get a profit out of my product. But there's no protection for me or the 34,000 other sheep farmers out there. We're on our own, we bear all the risk and we do do all the work and all the sacrifices. And we have no protection with minimum wages or any sort of terms and conditions. But everybody else, right up until the chef that cooks that meat, uh, is is protected under some form or other. And they're making profit on it. And we have to suffer uh, and take all the risk and now suffer a 7% cut in our income just to facilitate the, the greedy meat industry.
0: So what is the ICSA doing about this, John? What Are you engaging with the department on the issue at the moment?
4: Absolutely. You know, we, 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 this comes up for discussion at regular meetings and, you know, there, there are a menu of options now that I'm not going to go into now today, but there are a menu of options there open to us between now and, and the implementation of this. And we're going to be continually lobbying uh, uh opposition tds government tds the minister we're going to be lobbying 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 to try and persuade the department the minister to see the nonsense of this and to, to, to the idea that i have to spend an extra euro on my lamb uh on in, in in a form of a tag and remember the eid tag or the tip tag they all contain the same information it's just a number my hair flock number and my flock number is on it so i mean it's there's nothing magical about an eid tag the only thing difference is that it can in general be read by a uh, uh, electronic system. That's the only thing, and they're not all readable, but most of them are. That's the only difference. They contain the same information, but it's taken an extra euro per lamb out of Sean's pocket, my pocket, and the 34 other thousand sheep farmers out there.
0: What about the potential impact on mart trade, which is obviously very important to rural communities? John, do you think that there will be an impact there in terms of competition, um, as only one tag will be needed to go straight to slaughter, two tags for other movements? Would there be an impact there? Do you think on mart?
4: Absolutely, will be an impact on mart as well, and the marts are very annoyed over this issue as well. So they are, you know, and they're going to have to go to bother putting in uh, all sorts of putting putting readers and going to huge expense over it. There will be implications. It may be that some marts will look at and say, look, for the volume of sheep trade is going through my mart, uh, we, may, we may stop, you know, and that's taking a service away out of the community as well. It's reducing competition for farmers to sell lamb. Uh, you know, absolutely, there, 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 there are issues involved, and major issues involved with, with, with in the mart trade.
0: Uh, Sinn Féin's agricultural spokesperson recently suggested uh, that it could be brought in under the sheep welfare scheme Um uh, pending I suppose budget 2019 Um he suggested that uh, payment under the scheme could be made from 10 euro a year to 50 up to 15 euro a year and would you support something like that?
4: Look we'd support anything that puts extra money into the farmer's pocket but I, I'm not so, so sure about that particular policy and um, you know It's like the 100 euro again, you know, we want, let the market pay the farmer. If the market requires this extra EID tag, let the market pay for it. I mean we have no benefit out of it so if let the, the market pay for let it let pay for a long term you know the short-term commitment like what the minister has announced 100 jewel or whatever it is it's 100 tags that's of no, that's insignificant it's the long-term implication of this going forward it's the long-term negativity on my income and the income of all sheep farmers across the country that's a big issue now uh, at least i welcome uh and acknowledgement that this is a problem and it is a problem so as i say we we'll continue lobbying and not being all TDs and all political parties on this issue. And hopefully there'll be some, the sense will be seen and sense will prevail and there'll be a change made between now and next May.
0: We'll leave it there, John. Thanks very much for joining us. And next up, we're off to Gertine College, where a new milking parlour was unveiled last week. Conor Finnerty has this report.
5: Gertine College in County Tipperary recently unveiled its new 30-unit milking parlour. Farm manager, Ken Flynn, explained the reasoning behind the investment. We'd have been milking about 120 cows and we wanted to expand on that and in order to get a good unit that could sustain two labour units we reckon we needed to go to over the 200 mark. Our plan is to build it up now, we've already built it up from 120 up to 200 cows. We want to push on to about 250 cows and then we'll take stock and see exactly what our grazing block can carry and that's what we'll go for. The new facility includes a range of benefits. So this is a 30-unit Delaval parlour, it's equipped with Auto-ID, so when a cow walks in she has an electronic ear tag that's read through a scanner at the entrance to the parlour. She then moves up to her stall where her meal will be distributed. With that system, if we condition score our cows, and we've some that are too thin and some that are over heavy we can feed them accordingly to get them back to the right condition score. We were milking in a 12-unit parlour with jars, so it was quite slow for the number of cows that we were trying to put through it. We would hope to at least half our milking time with this new parlour. It'll also give us a lot more data at our fingertips, because this parlour will record yield and all the cows' details, and have them on the computer ready for us to use for our own farm management purposes and also for the education purposes. As regards the students, We'll be teaching them in a more up-to-date, modern environment now. We'll also be able to give the students more teaching practice because in the old parlour, we were very limited with the number of students we could physically fit in to give milking practice. Whereas with the bigger parlour now, we'll be able to fit in a lot more students. They'll be able to get more hours of hands-on, practical milking time. We've also built a very good handling unit to the side of the milking parlour where we'll be able to train students in the the physical skills needed for how to handle stock, how to help check them, treat them, how to diagnose different issues, we'll teach dosing, injecting, help checking, all the basic skills that a stockman needs to know.
0: So Mike, there are some very impressive facilities down there at Gerting College. Can you tell us a little bit how, on how the last week has gone? It's a week open now at this stage.
2: Yeah, the parlour's been open a week, we've been milking cows for a week and um, the first day was tricky enough getting cows to move through a new parlour, but they're creatures of habit. It's now going smoothly, and cluster, first cluster on to last cluster off less than an hour the other day. So, you know, it's, the cows are going through it. They've learnt the system. It's working well.
0: And it has shortened milking time as well. Oh, it's
2: more than halved milking time, yes. And as much as importantly as well, uh, Araborn Co-op came and picked 12,000 litres of milk up the other day. Our old bulk tank only held 6,000 litres, so they're happy as well, they're not having to come every day to collect milk.
0: And Mike, you have a lot of impressive new technologies as well in the parlour. Can you tell us a little bit about the technologies and how this parlour will actually help ensure the sustainability of Gertien College?
2: Yeah, but look, what we've tried to do with the parlour is put in a put in a parlour that has all sorts of technology there But initially with students, we'll turn it all off and we'll teach them to milk a cow because the first step is they can milk a cow. Once they can milk a cow, then we'll turn the technology on so they can then look at yield in class. They can look at levels of butterfat and various things will be sampled as well. We can look at feeding to yield from the parlour. We can look at efficiencies of production within the whole system. So it'll be from very basic to one-man operation. So students of the future going out of Gertine will be able to milk large herds of cows efficiently.
0: And Mike, why did you decide to expand and to develop on the dairy side? Because Gertine is a mixed college, mixed sector college.
2: It is, and we haven't reduced any of the other sectors, apart from a small reduction in the tillage side. We've become more efficient with the the dairy and the grassland. But what we've also done is looked at labor units. And in history, Gertine had 100, 120 cows. Um, But the future of dairy farming is probably two-man units which mean 200 cows plus and so we've put in a parlour that initially will cope with 200 250 300 cows with room for expansion in that parlour if in 15 20 years time somebody decides to keep even more dairy cows at team. it's trying to link to labour efficiency on dairy farms
0: and efficiency is very important to the college. You have a lot of environmental and sustainable features um, on campus as well. Can you tell us a little bit about those?
2: Yeah, I mean, look, as a, as a college, we've always tried to be innovative, always tried to look at what can be done, but that makes commercial sense. So we generate significant amounts of electricity on site from solar PV panels and a wind turbine, which produce about 30 or 40 percent of the electricity needs of the college. We had horrendous oil bills 10 years ago for heating the college with oil, about €100,000 a year. So we invested in biomass boilers, we grow willow. Um, and so we've reduced the heating bills to below €20,000 a year. We're looking at in the future whether anaerobic digestion in local communities and farms can work together to produce electricity and heat within the system. So we're looking at every aspect of energy efficiency in terms of saving. So we've gone through the lighting in the college and changed it all to LEDs in terms of buildings and insulation to stop us using heat and then generate the stuff as cheaply as we can.
0: Is it Miscanthus that you're using at the moment? No, we're using
2: willow. We are growing willow. We harvest it with an 80 acre field of willow. We planted it nine years ago now. Um, We harvest a third of the field every year. So it's three year growth we're harvesting. We dry it and we burn that in wood chip boilers.
0: And on the dairy the dairy parlour, yeah. Mike, how was that funded? How was their investment put into it? Um, Did you get grants?
2: Well, apart, we got a small TAMS grant um, from, from the government. But apart from that, although we're a college, we've still had to fund all the rest thanks to AIB Bank. So we've taken out a 15 year loan from AIB Bank to fund the dairy project to ensure that students of the future are taught in the correct facilities.
0: And Mike, on the dairy expansion side, yeah. what's your take? Obviously, you're based down in Tipperary, very, yeah. very strong dairy country down there. What's your view on expansion? Do you think it's sustainable?
2: I think expansion is sustainable so long as the producers, i.e. the farmers, so long as the processors, and in our case, it's Araborn Co-op, and then the people to market the product at the end of the year, at the end of the day, can all work together so that we're not producing more than we can sell and we're not producing less than we can sell. So I think it's up to the marketing people to ensure that they can market Irish milk to the world um, because we can't use it all on site in Ireland. And if they can do that, then dairy expansion is sustainable, yeah.
0: And what about the student perspective? Are you seeing increased interest in the student body on the dairy side? Because as we all know, it is the that mo- has the most financial return compared to the other sectors.
2: Yeah, I mean, look, we have seen an increase in students on dairying, but thankfully this year we've seen an increase across the whole sectors in the college in first year agriculture students. And it's very important to Gertine. Although dairying is important to the college, we have a big mixed farm, and we will continue to teach suckler farmers, sheep farmers, tillage farmers in education as well, because there's a place for all of those within Irish agriculture.
0: And what about any future plans for developments on site? Um, new classroom, is there any new Yeah, classroom hopefully,
2: look, we have to secure a bit more funding from somewhere here. We can't borrow any more money from May I bank, so I have to secure some more funding. But the intention is to build a classroom attached to the dairy unit, so the dairy students in the second year can be taught within the dairy complex.
0: And Mike, is it a challenge to secure funding? It is.
2: I mean, look, the state has not got loads of money. We get small help from the state occasionally, but it's small amounts. So I suppose what I'm trying to do at the moment is look to industry and can industry support gertine College as well as the state, as well as gertine itself, so that the whole of the system can work together.
0: And another challenge coming down the track for the agricultural colleges is the economy is picking up again. And generally when the economy picks up, students tend to show a lot of interest on the construction side, the engineering side, yeah. and uh, agriculture may, you know, there are, concerns that it may take a, a back seat over the coming years. What's your take on that?
2: Look, it is possible, but I think what agriculture has to look at, and we say this to every student every day, agriculture has to be a business. And if the business of agriculture can't pay people enough to milk cows, then we have to look at how we can make the industry more profitable so that the industry can pay people more. If people can get more money laying bricks than they can milking cows, then there's something wrong in the whole of the Irish uh, economy.
0: And is that the ethos there at Gertine, the student body, you're training them to run their farms in the future as a business? Look,
2: Gertien College only exists for education. We've got a big commercial farm, but we want to make sure that every student has the practical skills, the business skills and the science skills to go forward in agriculture, to be efficient in their own farms, yes.
0: We'll leave it there, Mike. Thank you very much for joining us and best of luck with the new parlour. Thanks also to the rest of our guests and to Homeland, our sponsors. We won't have a farmland show next Thursday as the entire AgriLand team will be down at the National Ploughing Championships in Scraggan. Pop into the tent if you're down at the ploughing. However, if you can't be there, log on to any of the AgriLand platforms as we'll be live streaming the entire event over the three days. We'll have lots of interesting panel discussions, in-depth analysis and special guests in studio. As always, if you want to get in touch with the farmland or Agriland teams, you can contact us directly by phone or email or reach out on our social media channels. Thank you again for watching and we'll see you next time.